All right, our community conversation this morning is going to be uh, based around movies. Do you have a, a particular movie that is inspiring to you, compelling, one that you like to watch again and again because it gives you all the feelings inside? Take a couple of minutes, t talk to a neighbor, talk about uh, is there a, a movie or a TV show that uh, is particularly inspiring or compelling to you? All right, take a couple of minutes. Well, I mean, what we can see this morning, like with all of these movies, it, like I can see everybody like gets a smile, like right before they tell their movie, they get a smile across their face because good movies inspire us. They make us want to, they compel us to tell each other about them because we want other people to enjoy and be inspired. And I think a good film, it just, it changes us at some core level that, you know, we, we walk out of the movie or we finish a movie and we're just... We're just different. We see the world differently. It gives us new eyes, and we want other people to experience that same uh, new sight that we've experienced through the movie. And we're going to talk about uh, prophets today. And prophets, uh, we're all called to be prophets, and I'm, that's going to be my my goal today is to convince you that you are a prophet, and that uh, you will at some point, and you maybe already have, see the world differently. And we're called. Uh, as disciples to go and be prophets into the world. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 with the lectionary this week, starting in verse 1. It's in the bulletin, and uh, it's 1 through 13 today, and I'll be reading in the message version. He left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along on the Sabbath. He gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden, get such ability? I know that's what you say when I preach. Um, verse 3. But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter, Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling and they never got any further jesus told them a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives on the streets he played in as a child jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them that's all he couldn't get over their stubbornness he left and made a circuit of the other villages teaching jesus called the 12 to him and sent them out in pairs he gave them authority and power to deal with evil oppression, opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. And no luxury ends. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcomed, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. Then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointed their bodies, healing their spirits. I really love this lectionary text this morning because I feel like it's pretty, I mean, uh, Mark is usually pretty to the point, but this seems particularly relatable and honest. Uh, I think it also gives us a, an interesting image into Jesus' humanity. 
So let's, uh, let's break this text down and see, see what we can find. So Jesus goes home. We've been through the Gospel of Mark. He's been traveling around, and he goes home here. He's been traveling. Um, and at first, he, he, you know, he's in this meeting place. He's in the synagogue. Um, and people are amazed in a good way, uh, but it doesn't obviously last long. Um, they quickly turn on him with this double insult. Maybe you notice this. They say, he's just a carpenter, Mary's boy. Now, this might not sound like a, a diss, but this is, this is a big insult. Um, so scholars will kind of talk about this word that's translated carpenter. It's a Greek word, uh, tek, tekton. And the best that people can really uh, gain from this is that he's just a, Jesus was a handyman of sorts. He was just a, a day laborer. So, because um, like when I think of carpenter, I don't know about you, but I think of like Jim Caviezel and the Passion of the Christ with like six-pack abs and building a table. See, anybody seen this? Uh, not probably what Jesus was so much like, you know, making chairs and sanding tables with his abs. Um, I've mentioned Jim Caviezel's abs twice today, so that's... Uh, one more I have. Um, thanks, Julie. <laughs> uh, so Jesus was more likely uh, associated as a day laborer, just a unskilled handyman. No, no Bob Mason, who, if you noticed, uh, outside put up our uh, little free library. So if you haven't seen the little free library, it is up. So he's no Bob Mason. He's just a common day laborer. So whenever they say he's just a carpenter, it's, it's an insult. It's not, oh, well, he's this you know, really revered, skilled person that we rely on for our dinette set. He's just a carpenter, Mary's son. So what most scholars will say here is that uh, the fact that he's referred to as Mary's son uh, probably indicates that Mary's a widow at this point, that Joseph is no longer uh, in the picture, that he's passed more than likely. And really what this kind of translates to is they're saying he's a bastard, Mary's son. So he's just a day laborer, bastard son. That's a little intense, I'd say, in church, um, especially when you're up there preaching in front of your family and friends. I wouldn't know what that's like. So he's just a carpenter. I think of uh, when I was, I, I grew up working at uh, a moving company in high school and college, and this might be the best association for what we can think of when we think of what Jesus was doing. As I worked for a moving company, when we'd do really big office moves, we would need a lot more employees, so we would get uh, temp workers from a temp agency. So we'd go out to a job, we'd ride out on the trucks, and then all of a sudden a, a temp truck would come. and. It, a bunch of temp workers would just help us move all of this furniture that we had to do for the day. But they weren't, they weren't the normal crew of guys. It was just we needed a bunch of guys to do this particular move. And that's more like what we can associate Jesus as, a temp day laborer. We could even think of him as um, immigrant labor. We think of what our country relies on um, and is such a uh, contested issue is... Jesus would have been seen as someone who also failed his family. 
Because not only is Mary a widow now, but Jesus would have been expected to take care of her as his mother. And yet Jesus is off, you know, going around town to town with these disciples. He's not even financially engaging to take care of his mother. Uh, you can see how uh, this hostility from his family and friends, the small town that Jesus grew up in, really uh, don't like what he's chosen to do with his life. Just a carpenter. So rejected from his hometown, his religious community, rejected by his friends and his family. I want to be very clear that Jesus is the very definition of someone who would be considered a failure by most standards. No education, not really any discernible skills, and not loyal to his community. Uh, a very prominent individual recently said, and I quote, we've got more money, we've got more brains, we got better houses, we got better apartments, we got nicer boats, we're smarter than they are, they're stone cold losers, to lots of cheers, you can imagine. And I think people generally cheer for this kind of thing because we still have embedded within our culture that up and to the right mentality. The graph should go up and to the right. Am I up, up and, this is my right, you're right, up and to the right, you're right. That our society still places values on people and things that have perceived value. So people that don't have perceived value are considered less than or losers or they don't make as much money or they don't have as many discernible skills. Our society places values on people like their products. Cost-benefit analysis. We see advertising, business models, uh, political policies that do this. Um, we can't afford healthcare or education or proper immigration processes, but we can afford military equipment, we can afford, um, which by the way, military, uh, our discretionary budget, over half of our discretionary budget is military, just so you, you know. So we can't afford certain things because we have to pay for other things. Cost-benefit analysis, more money, more houses, nicer boats. Jesus lived and taught in a particular way that combats this up and to the right thinking. Less money, less stuff, less boats. Jesus had no value. And in our society, he would be a poor immigrant day laborer. He would be feared by most politicians, maybe called an alien or an animal or any another, a number of derogatory names to attempt to dehumanize those who are poor and not white. He would be seen as insignificant, maligned by most everyone on the right and the left, I think. But I think particularly by people who would consider themselves Christian in our country. I say all this because I want us to understand how strange Jesus was both to his own community and would be to ours. Uh, and I don't even think this is something I really understand very well. I'm just trying to grapple with this. 
So what does Jesus do after an experience of a rejection like this? What does he do? Uh, Luke's account of this story says that the group of people tried to throw him off a cliff. And I like the way the message version phrases uh, verse 6, where he says he couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left. And I can imagine Jesus sitting with a rejection and not being able to get over their stubbornness. You know, like that would be such a painful feeling that I would imagine most of us have felt at one time or another. Um, when we talk about you know, seeing a movie or experiencing something really inspiring, and we just, we change in an instant. We see the world differently, and sometimes that is in direct conflict with our own family's beliefs, whether it's religious or political, where we just see the world differently. And we have that moment where we, we change and we didn't even realize it, and then we look back and there's kind of a, a gap between maybe our, the way our hometown sees things or the way our family views things. Um, we're just a different person. And I, I can see this in Jesus' humanity and this experience here that he goes and teaches in the meeting place and yet he realizes, oh, there's a, there's a gap here. Uh, and he couldn't get over their stubbornness. And then he healed some people, and then, and then he left. So what does Jesus do after an experience like this? Have you ever uh, been doubted among your friends or your family, maybe the ones that you grew up with, that know you closely? Because you think differently, you've matured, or you've grown in a certain way. I think we live in an interesting time where we have more opportunities for this kind of change and growth. We are called to be prophets, and this is what Jesus does right after this moment, where he, he calls the 12 and then he sends them out to be prophets in this way. This is the second half of our story that once we change, once we see the world differently, we are then called to go out to tell people about the movie, to tell people about the story. So it says, Jesus called the 12 to him and sent them out in pairs. And then he equips them in a, in a kind of a particular way. And that's the second piece. So he says, uh, you don't need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds, which uh, maybe churches could uh, read that verse uh, sometime. No special appeals for funds. You don't need money or education or a social media platform to be influential. He says, no luxury ends, right? Get a modest place and be content until you leave there. Maybe don't use your platform to try to get your wife a Chick-fil-A franchise. Maybe that was the part that was cut out. I don't know. If you're not welcomed, you're not listened to, just quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene, shrug your shoulders and be on your way. Sometimes I, I wonder what if we could let go of the hostility that we feel when we're not accepted? Do we easily shrug our shoulders and go on our way? 
Jesus had just, I think this is such an interesting thing because Jesus had just experienced this. And so he then calls his disciples and say, you know, when you're rejected, shrug your shoulders, just keep doing the work. Um, prophets are usually not accepted. Pro prophets are not popular people, we'll say that, right? If, if you're actually going out and doing what Jesus says at the end of this text today, if you're bringing wellness to the sick, anointing people's bodies, healing people's spirits, preaching that life can be radically different, you're probably not going to be popular. So Jesus says, you know, shrug your shoulders, go on your way. You know, don't hold anger or hostility against those that don't accept you. That's just part of it. You know, you, just because you see things differently um, doesn't mean you're responsible for changing someone. Um, you're inspired. You go and try to inspire others in the same way. But you're not held responsible if people don't see the way you see. Just shrug your shoulders and continue the work. So the final two verses, I think, demonstrate what a prophet looks like generally. Preaching that life can be radically different. Sending the demons packing. You know, put whenever, whenever, other words, whenever you see evil or injustice, fighting against that. Bringing wellness to the sick, anointing the bodies, healing spirits. So we are called, church, to preach joyfully that life can be radically different. Radically different than the up and to the right mentality that you don't need more money and bigger houses or boats. I mean, that's fine. If you have a boat, invite me out, okay? I love riding on boats, so that's a joke, okay. Um, that life can be radically different. So what does this mean to you, that life can be radically different? To release people from whatever bondage they're in, where that's personal or societal. Uh, I often think that uh, we have so much of the world's wealth concentrated into the hands of, the, of a few, and we think that that's just normal. That's just the way things are while disease and hunger and slavery could be solved. What is radic uh, preaching that the world could be radically different? What does that mean to you? Can you be a prophet to bring wellness to the sick for people that don't have proper access to health care? Oh, speaking of, uh, I talked to Craig Prince this week. Many of you know Craig. Um, and he... Uh, needs cataract surgery, but his, um, he can't find a surgeon who will accept his Medi-Cal. So if anybody knows of any people in the optometry field um, that can do surgery and knows about healthcare issues, uh, talk to me or I'll get you connected with, with Craig. Uh, but what does it mean to be prophets that bring wellness to the sick in our world today? What does it mean to anoint people's bodies uh, that are abused, 
or critiqued by society's standards? Where can you be a prophet of grace? Where can you bring healing to someone's spirit? Maybe you know someone. Uh, maybe, maybe it's your own spirit that needs healing. Um, I know mine does uh, quite often. So you, dear friends, are called to be prophets, and our world needs you to be prophets. Prophets of hope. Even if you're not welcomed in doing this work, shrug your shoulders, let it go, and continue the work. This is the work of grace that Christ has called each and every one of us to. What does it mean to you? Let's pray. Loving God, we, we thank you that you call us in strange ways, that we see things differently, that we're inspired to go out and bring healing to those that need it. To sometimes preach to ourselves that we need healing. We thank you that your grace is free and that we don't need money or education or a house or any other thing that uh, society says, oh, we need this. That your grace is free, that your love for everyone comes at no cost. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.